singing the Christmas carols here this this Sunday, I, I realize that you know Christmas is upon us in just the next couple of weeks, and so for the next few Sundays, we are beginning a new series of messages called "The King Is Coming." And so we're just simply going to take a look at the significance of the birth of Christ. And I thought today, one thing that we would do, and it's really just going to be, it's, hopefully it's going to be a, a teaching time, a, a sort of like a lesson about the significance of where Jesus was born. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute, but as I was thinking about Christmas, I know that one thing that we do as we prepare for Christmas is I know many of you are already out shopping, you're looking for gifts and all those different things, trying to please that special someone in your life. Um, I'll share with you one of the greatest gifts that I ever received happened about three years ago. Our family was getting ready to go to Israel, and Emily bought me the Bose uh, noise-canceling noise headphones. Have you all ever put those on before? They are absolutely, if you haven't, it is like a gift from God. I mean, you put those things on, and everything is absolutely quiet. Now, she got those for me because we were going to Israel. It's like an eight-hour flight, and I promise you, I love children, but every time we get on a plane, when we're going somewhere, I'm the guy that's sitting next to a two-year-old kid with the lungs of an elephant. And, you know, and he's like just screaming the entire time. And I'm sitting there having to remind myself, remember, you're a preacher. And, and I'm looking for windows in a plane. I'm thinking, will my body fit through that window so I can get out of here? And so Emily, because it's just a horrible experience for her watching me, she got me these headphones, and I put them on. And it's, it is a miracle from God. I mean, I couldn't hear nothing. And I just absolutely loved it. And so I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to be on a long flight like that. I don't need headphones like that. But while you might not be in a, on a long flight next to a two-year-old kid who's screaming, the fact is all of us face some really noisy stuff in life. I mean, all of us have stuff that is constantly, you know, sort of harping at us all the time. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, with, with us worrying about, you know, about family and worrying about finances and worrying about, you know, health issues and marriage and all these different things, wouldn't it be really neat if you could just buy some headphones that you could just put on and everything would just be peaceful? You know, everything would be quiet and all those troubles that we have would just simply disappear. Well, there's not any, I hate to disappoint y'all, there's not any headphones like this. But there's a really cool scripture in, ver, in, in the Bible that shares with us about how to have peace. Now, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And here's what it says. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. It says, Bring your request to God. Bring your request to God. And if you do these things, it says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Now, I love that verse, yet I struggle with actually applying it to my life. It says I can have peace with God, but it's so difficult for us to actually apply this verse because we allow worry and we allow fears to come into our lives and to where it can just absolutely dictate and dominate everything that we do. And I think that's why I like Christmas so much. You see, if you're a believer, a follower of God, fear and worry should not dominate your life because of what happened on the very first Christmas. The very first Christmas... Jesus was born. I know that we all know that. 
but it was a significant event that transformed the history of man, and it has the opportunity to transform your life as well, because it can bring, his birth can bring peace into your life. Now today in our scripture, we're going to see that there's this man named Micah, who was a prophet, and 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he prophesied that Jesus would be born. And he told us the place where this coming peacemaker would be born. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to look with me in Micah chapter 5 in verse number 2. And I, this is a, typically a book in the Bible that we don't really go to that often except for at Christmas. And so if you have your Bible and you're just curious about looking it up, the easiest thing to do if you, if you don't know where it is, go to your table of contents. Uh, otherwise, if you don't like to read instructions like me, go to the middle of your Bible and hang a right. And just keep going until right before you get to the New Testament. And you're going to run into Micah. And so we're going to look in just a moment, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And so if you're looking there, I'll give you some background information. What was going on when Micah the prophet wrote this is that Israel was experiencing one of these unusual times in their history where they were going through peace and prosperity. Uh, typically, when I talk about Israel and I talk about their past, and you look in the Old Testament, I mean, they're just, they're always in trouble. You know, they're always defying God, they're, they're ticking God off and all this stuff, and things aren't going well, but here, they're experiencing prosperity. Now, that sounds good, but the background, if you go through the book of Micah, you'll find out that even though things were going well for them, they were falling away from God. They were not being obedient to God. They were, for one, the followers of God. They began to worship other gods during this time. Uh, and as you know, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's, that is a complete no-no to worship anyone other than the one true God. Uh, you might remember the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. The people didn't trust at this time, they didn't trust their government. They looked at their government and they said, these people are more interested in taking care of themselves than they are in taking care of the people. And I, I look at situations like this in our text and I, I try to compare them to where we are today. And I began to realize, man, we got a lot in common uh, with the people that were written about you know, over 2,000 years ago. Uh, for one, many of us struggle with, with some of our government decisions that we have. I saw the latest poll said that our approval rating for Congress is a whopping 9%. You know, not real good. We look at justice in our country today and we say, do, do we, are we really interested in justice? And I, I do think that if you, you look at it, you can come away saying, man, it just seems like if you've got more money, then you're going to find justice and everybody else just sort of, we're just sort of left to, you know, hanging, hanging out to dry. And so there's a lot of things that I believe we have in common with the people that we're being written to. And when I look at stuff like this and I read this stuff in the Bible and I look at our current situation, man, it's really easy for, for me to kind of get jaded and become a little bit cynical about our future. And I have to be careful there, because I, I don't want to be like a gripey old man. You know, just sitting there always complaining about where we are and about, you know, how sorry things are. But then I come to Christmas. And I come to this scripture, and I find hope because of scripture. 
And today what I want us to do is I just want us to examine the significance. And we're going to do this through the, through the month of December. I just want us today to focus on the significance of this prophecy that was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus that talked about where Jesus was going to be born. He was going to be born where? See how good you all are. Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, what's the significance of Bethlehem? We're just going to see a few things. The first prophetic significance of Bethlehem is, first of all, is its place, you know, where it was. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number 2 of chapter 5. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem was not a major city during the time when Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, there were two Bethlehems in Israel at this time. And there was one up near Nazareth. There was another one down near Jerusalem. And Micah, as he's prophesying, that's what makes it really interesting. As he's prophesying, he gets really specific about where this coming leader was going to be born. He says, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, Ephrathah, what does all that mean? You know, I, I, I remember I looked it up. I don't remember. It's just another name. But the reason why he said Bethlehem Ephrathah is because it was a specific Bethlehem he's talking about. He was talking about the Bethlehem that was near Jerusalem. It was the tiny Bethlehem. You know, there was another significant person born in Bethlehem before Jesus, another great king. And that king was King David. Now, even though King David was born there, as time passed, it's not, it did not become a hotbed. It was not like, you know, like Blythewood is all of a sudden booming. Bethlehem never boomed. When Jesus was born, the population, scholars estimate, was around like 150 people. This is not a big town. And yet, even though it wasn't a big town, something really big happened there. Jesus was born. And it's intriguing to me that, that in this small, insignificant town, God did something incredible. God put on human flesh, and he came into our world at this little, insignificant town in order to be the redeemer of our world. Now, that's interesting, that God chose Bethlehem to be this place. You know, most of the time whenever you're doing like a resume or you're trying to talk to people about the kind of person you are, you want to do whatever you can in order to build yourself up. And if you're from, you know, like, you know, like Blythewood, and not, you know, not everybody outside of South Carolina knows where Blythewood is. Some people say, where, where are you from? You know, I like to sound from Columbia. You know, because you, I, you know, I want to sound like at least like I'm from a big town or something. And people can automatically identify, you know, where I'm from. Like, okay, yeah, I've heard of Columbia before. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, Jesus just lets everybody know, I'm, I'm from a tiny little town of 150 people. And Jesus is not interested in what everybody's perception of, him, of himself was. He is interested in people. And it's just another sign to me that, that God allowed his son to be born there to show us once again the humility of God. God has the ability to take small, insignificant people and things and do incredible things through them. That, that's true from, the, from, from Scripture. And we're told this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. See if you can identify with this. I read this verse and I think, oh man, this is me. It says, but God chose 
the foolish things of this world in order to shame the wise. He, he chose the weak things of the world to shame the, the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God can use anybody and anything to do something great. He used Bethlehem to bring into this world a peacemaker. A God who could give us hope and give us victory over death. And then I try to try to put that on top of us, you know, where we are today. And I, and I want you just to think about yourself. Do, do you think God can do something great with you? Do you think that God can do something significant with your life and with the life of this church? And you can look at yourself and say, man, I... I'm just a regular person. I don't know if God can do something with me or, you know, our, our church. We're just a, you know, we're just a church on, you know, Rhymer Pond Road in Blythewood, South Carolina. I don't know if God can really do something significant through us. But then I look, I look at Scripture. And I, I look that, and see that God took a town like Bethlehem, a nothing, a nothing place, and he did something significant. You know, small things which can be seen as insignificant actions can be a catalyst to bring about great change. And just as God used Bethlehem to usher in a world-changing event, I really believe this. I believe that God can use you and me and this church to bring about life-altering events that can touch the lives of our family and our friends and our community. This has happened before in our church. Eight years ago, our church was meeting in Bethel Hanbury Elementary School. Eight years ago. Great gym over there, horrible acoustics. Anybody, did anybody ever go over there when we were at Bethel Hanbury? Any of y'all remember that? Yeah, a few of y'all remember that. Steve Pender's raising his hand very high. Uh, I remember eight years ago, we were in there, we had about like, uh, we probably, one Sunday we had about you know, like, like 50 people there, 35 of them were adults, and, uh, and so we're sitting there, and there's like three of us that had the rest of the kids. And so we're all in the church, and that we had this, we had this, get, this couple come in, and they were, they were like, the, they were really young, you know, they're like younger than me. And so they came in, and with, that, with so few people in there, I remember seeing them walk in, and after church was over, I told them, I said, hey, did you see that young couple that came into church today? And you know, it was just exciting for us. We saw in it, and we were thinking, man, no, no sane person, you know, other than our crazy group of people that were already there, are actually going to come here. And so this pe- these two people came in, they looked normal, and so I was like excited. I was like, hey, they, I think I, they, I could actually talk to them. And they would, like, be able to respond. And so, uh, so I told Emily about it. We didn't know who they were. We found out who they were later. It was a, a couple of Dan and Gina Riddle. And, and they're, amazingly, they're still in our church today. And uh, Gina was, she was a teacher at Blythewood Middle School. Dan, I don't know what he does. Uh, he just showed up with her. And so they were there. And they, what happened is they just moved here. And they were looking for a church near their home. And they heard that the new church had started. So they said, we'll go over there. And so they came, and it just seemed like an insignificant decision for them to come to our church. But lo and behold, what they didn't know is that God was going to grab hold of their hearts, and that one insignificant decision for them changed their lives. It changed our lives. Uh, she ended up becoming, a year later, she became our children's coordinator in our church. And it, gosh, and, and our children's ministry through her just bloomed and took off. And, and then Dan became one of our, our leadership members, uh, leadership team members in our church. 
But they made one decision that seems small, but it turned out to be really big. Guys, let me tell you something. Christmas, Christmas is a great time. It's a great time historically because there was a small town that didn't seem like anything great could happen out of it. And God took that very small little town and he did something significant with it. He brought in the Son of God. So what's the significance of Bethlehem? Well, it's place. Y'all, it wasn't like New York City. It was Bethlehem. It was a nothing town. But God uses the insignificant to do great things. What else can we learn about the significance of Bethlehem? Well, it was the person. The person who was to be born there. And if you look in verse number 2 again, it says, But you, Bethlehem of Phrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you, this is the important part. It says, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, as you look at that verse, who do you think could be being talked about in that verse? Who does it say? Let's just look up on the screen. Out of you will come for me one who will be what? A ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, of old, from ancient times. Micah made this prophecy, remember this, this is really important. He made this prophecy seven centuries before the birth of Jesus. And in this prophecy, and you can say, well, he was being rather vague. You know, hey, yeah, a great person is going to come out of Bethlehem. You think in 700 years, surely somebody smart is going to come out of there. But he gets real specific here. He doesn't say that the person he's going to come out of here is going to be a political leader. does not say he's going to be a great military man. doesn't say he's going to be some great scholar or professor. What does he say? He said he's going to rule Israel. That, that's pretty specific. And so whenever the people began to read this, they knew, hey, we need to look for somebody specifically. Who are we going to look for? One who's going to rule Israel. It's a specific prophecy. But not only that, he narrows down the prophecy even more. He says, out of this town, he said, it's going to be one who's going to have origins that come from old. From the ancient of days. That's an even more specific prophecy. I just want, I just want you all to see just how incredible this stuff is. 700 years before Jesus is born. When it talks about that he will have origins from of old, from the ancient of days, that phrase, it literally means his ancestry will be everlasting. As in there is no beginning of it and there is no end. There is only one person in all of history that could fulfill that prophecy. It's Jesus. Only Jesus has origins that are everlasting. Y'all remember Genesis 1-1? Y'all remember that one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know who was with God from the beginning? Jesus. You might say, well, how do you know that? Well, because of what the Bible says. In John 1, verses 1 and 2, and then in verse number 14. And the, the word is referring to Jesus. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This prophecy is unbelievable. It lets us know that only one person could fulfill this prophecy, and that would be the Son of God. Why is Bethlehem significant? Because of its place. Because of the person that was born there. And it's the last thing that I want you to see. The prophetic significance of Bethlehem is also the performance. You know, the performance of the person who would come from there. Uh, Look with me in verses 3 through 5. It says, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And I like this last verse right here. It says, and he will be their peace. Now when Mike is talking about the significance of what's going to happen in Bethlehem, He starts off by saying that a ruler's going to come, and then he begins to talk about what the ruler's going to do. Now, before the ruler was going to come, something had to happen. And what had to happen is the people of Israel had to be judged, because they they were straying from God. If you you look back in, let me see what verse it is here, in in verse number, uh, verse 3. It says, in verse 3, it says, uh, therefore Israel will be abandoned. What does that mean? It means God was going to remove his presence and the people were going to be removed from Israel. What happened is after this text was written, y'all, y'all remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar? Y'all remember that? If you, if you do, another reminder there is the, 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 three, the guys that got thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He comes in after the scripture is written. He takes the people of Israel captive, carries them off for 70 years. 70 years later, they're able to return. The writer here says after the Israel's been abandoned, after that period of time, it is then that the Messiah will come. It's then that he'll come. And, and sure enough, that's what happened. But he doesn't he doesn't stop there. He gets more specific. He says, and I will let you know who the Messiah is going to be. Because you'll be able to look and see what he does and tell that he is the chosen one of God. Well, how did he describe the Messiah? Well, he pictured him as a shepherd. If you look in verse number 4, it says, He will stand and shepherd his flock. What does a shepherd do? He takes care of sheep. He makes, he makes sure that sheep have enough to eat and drink. He makes sure that they're going to be protected. After Jesus was born, as Jesus became a man, what did Jesus have to say about himself? He said this in John 10, 14, and 15. He said, I am the good shepherd. He's fulfilling prophecy, what Micah said. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Who's this guy going to be? He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to take care of his sheep. Now, this is just a little side note. This doesn't have anything really to do with what we're talking about as far as the shepherd. I just think this is interesting, so I'll share this with you. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know what the name Bethlehem means in Hebrew? It means house of bread. And I think what's really neat is that Jesus identified him as the bre- himself as the bread of life. In John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. 
So that was just a little free information there. I just thought that was kind of interesting. All right, back to a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Takes care of his sheep. He protects them. One of the most famous shepherds in all the Bible, other than Jesus, would be David. King David. He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. And whenever he went to fight Goliath, he, he knew that he, he said, I can have victory over Goliath because I know God's going to take care of me. And he, he began to talk about when my sheep were attacked by a bear and a lion, he said, man, I went out there and I protected my sheep. I put my life on the line. And I destroyed the bear and the lion that my sheep might be safe. That's what a shepherd does. That's what Jesus was going to do. Because Jesus knew that we were going to be attacked by sin, a predator that's looking to destroy us. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus said, I'll put my life on the line and I'll come and I'll be a sacrifice for you on the cross that you might be able to have life. That's what a shepherd does. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, how could the people know when the Savior had actually come? They could know because, one, he'd become a ruler of Israel. He'd be a shepherd. And the only thing they had to do was look at the life of Jesus and see what his life produced. Why is this prophecy so important? Well, because what Micah did for us is he showed us who Jesus would be, what his life would produce, so that the Messiah could be identified. There's a story about a, a great artist. I would tell you his name, but I'm, I would mess it up, so I'm not going to tell you his name. But you will get the idea. He's a great artist, and he was, this is back in the 1800s, he was traveling through Europe. He lost his passport. He came to a border crossing. When he got to the border crossing, uh, he, he told, his, uh, told the, the agent, said, Look, I don't have my passport. I lost it. He said, this is my name. Everybody knew who this artist was. And the... Border crossing agent just sort of looked at him and said, yeah, you know what? A lot of people claim to be people that they're really not. He said, so I, I, I can't let you through. And he said, oh, you guys, I don't know what else to do. He said, well, then you prove who you are. And so he handed him a pad and a piece of uh, a pad and a pen. He said, sketch those people over there. And so he grabbed the, the pen and he began to sketch. He did it rather quickly. And when he's finished, he handed it back to the guard. When the guard saw it, it was absolutely unbelievable. And the guard looked at the man and he said, yeah, I believe you. You see, his, his work showed who he really was. And I think that's one of the great things about reading about prophecy in the Bible, about the birth of Jesus, because what happens as we read about the prophecy is we see that the words that were written about Jesus identify who Jesus is, because when you look at his life and his work, you're able to understand the Son of God has truly entered into our world. Now, what's so important about Bethlehem? Well, it's place. Demonstrates the humility of Jesus. He was born in a really tiny town. What's the significance of, of Bethlehem? Well, the second thing is it paints a picture of who the Messiah is going to be. And it also gives us clues as to the Messiah's performance in life, so that we can identify him when he came. As we celebrate Christmas, we can take confidence in the birth of Jesus, knowing that 700 years before he was ever born, it was an event that had been planned by God. It was an event that God knew was going to take place. 
And folks, we live in a time where people are desperately seeking for hope. And I want you to know that hope has already come. And that hope is still available to us today. And God can take us, people like us, and he can do great things with us. Because he is God. Let's bow forward to prayer. Mm-hmm.